0: Please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode.
1: Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with five to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10,
0: H-E-R-O
1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast with board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 288 Board Game Collecting Interventions. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode, but especially our two brand new Patreon backers, Brian Klein and Tim Doloff. Thank you so much, my friends. You rock. All right, Anthony, we are back with a wonderful episode, a super special episode. A secret surprise episode. There's just so much about this episode that I can't possibly tell you all those things until they come up.
0: <laughs> and then it got spooky. I don't What was that? <laughs> it's secret. It's spooky. You guys should be careful.
1: <laughs> I just got through watching two episodes back to back of Arkham country mystical arkham kind of spirits so let's just stick with the spookiness and the unknownness of what is to come Ooh. i mean it's 2020 so we might as well roll with it
0: right yeah it's inherently spooky so <laughs> do we even need the ghost noises you could just say hey it's another episode in 2020
1: y'all scared yet <laughs> eventually they're gonna like That's going to be like a four-letter word because it's technically kind of a four-letter
0: word. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, 2020. Uh.
1: Ah, Watch your mouth. You don't say 2020 in our house, son. (laughs) But we do have a lot on this episode. And our feature review, we're going to be talking about our own personal collecting interventions. Because honestly, there are a lot of games that you start out with really nice and simple you buy the base game and then eventually you go down that rabbit hole and you got to have it all so we're going to be talking about some of our own personal rabbit holes so to speak on this episode but before we get into all of that anthony we do in fact have an announcement what you didn't tell me any of this you're talking about (laughs) just kidding
0: We teased this before uh, that we would have a big announcement related to the video, Um, the listener feedback episode. Somebody asked about that. And we do. It wasn't vaporware. It's real, guys. (laughs) We have a real announcement. We're as surprised as you are, honestly. No, but next week on September 2nd, we are launching a brand new Twitch live show on Board Game Arena. So we are partnering up with Board Game Arena and we'll be doing BGA Live. So that's that's what the show is going to be called. It's me it's chris it's whoever we want to bring on our friends from the industry our friends from life uh, gamers whoever Uh, we're going to be talking about board games we're going to be talking about the week we're going to be playing games and we're going to be commentating on those games on board game arena which has kind of become the center of the board game universe while many of us are stuck at home it's really exciting this is like a project we've had in the works for a while and it's finally coming to fruition and we can finally talk about it so we want to make sure you let you guys know we're going to post all the information about how to, you know, attend and how to watch that and how to be engaged this week. So you should find that stuff on our Facebook, on the website, BGALive.com should redirect you to a page on our main website where you can learn all the information, see the calendar of the games coming up and uh, all the episodes scheduled for September. But yeah, make sure you don't miss it. It's going to be a lot of fun. And we especially need you guys, the loyal BGA listeners, to hop on and join us and have a discussion and, you know, kick this thing off right.
1: This was a very, very long process. It's been in the works for quite some time. We wanted to tell you about it, and we wanted you to be the first people to hear about this because, obviously, without you, we would have never had this opportunity. And this opportunity, hopefully, is to help spread gaming, give you some more content that we always try to bring to you. And again, thank you so much to all the Patreon backers for helping us bring you more and more specialized content, because without you, we wouldn't be able to do any of this. So please stick with us, Team BGA, and we'll let you know about all the stuff, and especially the schedule that's upcoming. We're looking so, so forward to this, and we're going to love to have you live on the show with us. It means a lot to us, and again, thank you so much. Alright, Anthony, so that's what's going on with BGA, and now BGA Live!
0: No, oh, man. <laughs> so when people ask, well, where's where's the energy for the podcast? Well, we have to save it for
1: BGA Live. <laughs> it's gonna be the BGA after hours podcast where anything yeah. goes.
0: <laughs> Even though we record it at the exact same time. It's
1: not Yeah, well, you know. <laughs> More caffeine. Yeah, yeah, caffeinated. BGA caffeinated, I think, will be the, the, you know, the subtitle, so to speak. So with that being said, Anthony, let's get on to what our listeners are talking about. Let's talk about our question of the week.
0: All right, question of the week this week. Thank you to everybody who wrote in. Got a lot of good responses this time. What is the most replayable game you can recommend for less than $40? So it's funny. Some people said, oh, that's not a lot of money. And... Chris, the first thing you said is that's a decent amount of money. (laughs) So I think in this day and age, especially uh, in the board game industry, $40 is like this weird price point that doesn't really exist anymore, except for like Mm -hmm. family type games. So when you say 40 bucks, people are thinking that's pretty good. You can do a lot with that. In reality, most games cost like $100 now on Kickstarter. So 40 bucks, good luck.
1: Well, I didn't say Kickstarter money. I said normal people money. Kickstarter money has nothing to do with real money we all know it (laughs) come on man (laughs) it's from a fantasy land
0: old kickstarter (laughs) uh so so yeah a bunch of people wrote in um lots of good games on this list and i did not specify nor did i mean to like msrp versus not so some people said yeah you could get this on sale you could get this on sale that's fair. A lot of these games are on sale pretty often. If you're talking about like a $90 game that could theoretically be on sale for $40, I'm probably not going to mention it because I don't know how helpful it is to somebody. <laughs> like, you're probably not going to find that game for $60 off. So there were a handful of those on Facebook and Twitter where people were like, oh, I got this for this price. I'm like, that's awesome. That's an amazing price. I Don't know how likely someone else is to get that. So anywho, let's dial in answers here. Uh, first up is Kyle. And several people actually mentioned this. on. was actually on sale on Amazon at some point for less than 40 bucks because three different people write in, um, including Scott and John, who mentioned this game in particular, Uh, the MSRP on it, I think is 50 or 55, might even be 45. I don't even know really, but it's around there. It's more than 40, but I believe you could get it for less than 40 pretty consistently. And that is a lot of game. So that's a pretty good deal. Um, We have Istanbul from Martin. He mentions all the different combinations on the map and how it played out and the different strategies give you lots of replayability. Uh, David mentioned Star Realms, which is a fantastic deck building game. And if you just get the base of it without all the extra expansions and whatnot, it's like 20 bucks. So it's a pretty good deal. We have Jerry gave us a whole list here from his collection. Chicago Express, Thebes, Blue Lagoon, For Sale and Sunflower Valley. Uh, I would second Blue Lagoon. That's a really good Kinesia game that kind of flew under the radar. That's like 30 bucks. It's a pretty good deal. We have from Brian, Welcome to, uh, as well as Star Realms or Shards of Infinity, both deck building games. I think any uh, roll and right is pretty good for this because those games are always going to have a different outcome because of the randomness. So that's a lot of fun. Eric mentions Race for the Galaxy and San Juan as kind of games in that just replayable card game type of genre. Drew mentions Lords of Waterdeep, which you can pretty regularly get for less than 40 bucks, although not with the expansion. So it's important to mention. We've got Oh My Goods is a whole lot of game, which you could get with the expansion for less than 40 bucks. So definitely worth doing that. Arboretum from Tim, uh, as well as Viceroy. And uh, Scott, he's like ignoring the obvious classics like Chess and Go, which, yeah, probably (laughs) those are way up there. He also mentions Onitama, Hostage Negotiator, Azul, which is what I was going to mention, and then Agricola, all creatures big and small. So lots of good stuff you can get for less than 40 bucks, like some decent, solid meaty games there. For me, I will always use this opportunity to mention Spirium, which you can still find. It's 35 MSRP, so you can get it for like 20, 25 bucks. It's a decent amount of game. So play that game, guys, because I want to play it and I need more people
1: to play it
0: so that I can play it with them. Do you understand?
1: (laughs) Well, I guess for me, if I'm looking at straight normal dollars, 40 bucks, I'm going to go with Fort, which is actually my review today. So you're actually getting a little bit of a headway on this. If I'm looking for the most replayability for your buck, I'm going to look at my favorite game from 2019 villagers villagers you can pick up for i think about 20 bucks i think it's 26 msrp and it's the only game in 2019 that once we finished we played it again and we played it again and we played it again again you're making a tableau and there's just so many cards and so many different combinations highly recommend getting the little expansion that comes with it, it makes the game infinitely better But both of those games are tremendous as far as replayability is concerned. All right. So if you would like to answer our question of the week or get in contact with us, please. We have so many different options. Every social media that is possible. Our Patreon account has brand new episodes each and every week. Anthony and I are going through our collection right now. So you could join us for the insanity of never-ending collectability on those episodes but again but again we will also be doing bga live so there'll be another opportunity to hit us up with some of your responses so please we'd love to hear from you all right anthony that's everything that's happening from our listeners let's get on to the games that we want to the table let's talk about our acquisition disorders
0: all right we got a new alexander fister game so Had to make sure I talked about it. This was actually announced last week. Uh, Capstone had like a little online event that they did and they are releasing this here in the States. So they brought it up, but I hadn't really had a chance to dig into it and look at it. And now that I have, it is very much on the list. So this is a game that does not take place in a problematic historical era. So (laughs) are you sure? Congratulations, Alex. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) it's the future, man. I think it's the future. It's not the past. That's what I know. (laughs) This is a science fiction world. It's some like dystopian Mad Max style world. People are like flying through the sky because the earth is like scorched to heck. And the I don't know about the story. Like Alexander Fisher always puts some kind of story into his games. And this one also has uh, a campaign system, which almost all of his recent games have had. Uh, Welcome to Newdale and um, Maracaibo both had it as well where you just add things in as you go. It's not a huge difference game to game, but it kind of tweaks small bits. This seems to have the same thing. Core mechanics, though, are what this says. Engine building, deck building, and resource management. I think the big hook on this, though, is there are sleeves that come with the game that have clouds printed on them. And then when you put the cards inside the sleeves, those clouds will cover up parts of the card. So you have to kind of estimate what's under clouds and then when you take the card out of the sleeve, you'll see how many resources you actually get from those regions. So it's kind of um, a clever way to do like a, f- I guess not- Fog of War is not right because it's not a war game, but that kind of thing, like hidden content that you can't actually see till you get there. And then once you get there, you're like, oh, okay, this is what I'm getting. It just looks really cool. It's very different from what he's done before. You know, everything before, even when it was kind of fantasy-ish, like the New Dale stuff, was very much just like, medieval europe and this is not medieval europe it is some kind of science fiction world and you've got like this blimp powering through the skies on the cover it's a really cool cover actually so i'm definitely excited to check this out he says that it is shorter than maracaibo claims it takes 90 minutes to play maracaibo says it takes two hours to play though which is not right so we'll see (laughs) how long it actually is but it's uh it looks interesting so i will definitely be checking this out when it launches i think later this year so that's a uh, cloud age from alexander fister and arno steinvender
1: yeah i'm really looking forward to this as well as you mentioned not being in a problematic time in history and at about <laughs> problematic feature would be great and as you mentioned again the artwork looks fantastic on the cover i really really like that. It's really exciting and this game, I guess they, he's saying here, it's engine building, deck building, resource management, and an innovative sleeving mechanic. So kind of everything, <laughs> you know, like a little bit of everything here. So I, in general, really appreciate and love his mechanics here. And yeah, if this, if this just does what it says it's going to do, this might be one of the best games of the year.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a Fister game, so automatically. And it's not, like, crazy expensive. It's not crazy long. Yeah, it looks really solid. So I'm excited. Hopefully it actually ships by the end of the year and we can check it out.
1: Sure. All right, so talking about crazy Kickstarter money, where $40 actually isn't $40, I want to talk to you about a current Kickstarter that Anthony and I have been anticipating for quite some time. We talked about it in little bits this is the Stefan Feld City Collection, Hamburg, and Amsterdam. Now, these are only two of what will be four games. Queen Games has been, I guess, teasing what these games will be. And now we know that these games are, I guess, three out of the four games are, I wouldn't say rehashes, but like slightly different Or previously it was, for example, Bruges, and Macau, and I believe the New York version is Rialto, and then there's going to be another game that's going to be its own unique game, and that's going to be based in a cube tower. So obviously he's not saying that's Amerigo, but that's the only game that he's used a cube tower, so maybe there'll be some elements of that in play. So Stefan Feld, as we said before, and we did a whole episode on Stefan Feld, is one of our favorite designers, so much so that he's kind of been retired to the Hall of Fame. We really don't have to talk about him anymore because he's just done so many different things for these last several years, and just a multitudes of games. The guy's a genius, just straight out, just straight out genius. So when this came out, on Kickstarter, I was very excited about it. Obviously, I already own Bruges, a cow I don't own it's been out of print for quite some time, so I was very happy to hear that that was coming back into print and then i looked at the kickstarter and then i saw that if you did want everything with this game which includes both games hamburg and amsterdam right Uh, you know a re-implementation of bruges and macau if you did want all of the nice kickstarter upgrades which includes the box sleeve, includes the game trays, so you actually have everything fits, the acrylic upgrades, the printed meeples, the challenge coins. Why challenge coins? I don't know. And also some collectability that goes along with this game, as if the fact it's not made by Steffenfeld is not enough. But there are also, like, almost like baseball cards that are either printed with his signature or hand signed by Stefan Feld, depending on what bundle you pick out. And finally, you can buy a package of all four games. And if you do that in advance, because obviously you'll be paying for two more games in the future, you can actually get a sticker for each of the game boxes that will have the same number on it. So your four games, you'll have Hamburg, you'll have Amsterdam, you'll have New York, you'll have Marrakesh, and they'll have the same number on them. Plus, again, if you go for the super version or if you do an add-on, there's also a coin box with coins that have the likeness of Stefan Feld on them. So, yeah. So, I don't even know where to begin with this. Because, honestly, this might be the Kickstarter that just mentally broke me. Because at first I was like, this is crazy, I can't possibly back this. And then obviously everyone rushed to back it. And then there was like the special versions were kind of bought out by the second day. And then I was like, well, maybe I should, because clearly now Kickstarter is just calling the shots and every game is now a hundred dollar game, no matter what it used to be. And then obviously the odd and interesting collectability of this game, which is insane, but also at the same time genius Because, like, do I really need baseball cards with Stefan Feld? I mean, yeah, of course I do. But also that's insane to think that I need those. And challenge coins and actual metal coins with Stefan Feld's profile on it. Do I need those? I guess I do. So I'm actually at a loss. I'm honestly truly at a loss with this Kickstarter Obviously it already backed, it has more than enough money. It's, it's got $750,000 at this point and still has two weeks to go. So I would highly recommend looking at this collection, even if you're not a Feld fan, even if you're not thinking backing this, I think this is a really, really super unique Kickstarter campaign with the likes that we've never seen. And obviously we've been covering things for over seven years at this point, this is something to be witnessed. I, I think at the very least, check it out. Take a look at it. See what you think. Read through some of the comments. Those are very interesting, the back and forth with the you know the publisher here. Anthony, what do you have to say? You have words, right? Because I don't have any more words. You have words, right? Words?
0: Yeah. Backer number six right here. What? <laughs> I'm, I'm all over this. I was like, click, reload. Click, reload. Click. i I did not back like the $400 bundle because uh, like these are already coming like a year from now, the first two. And I'm like, I, I've always been wary of backing anything where I have to wait two years for it, but I was definitely all in on the, these two games. <laughs> I don't have much, man. And you're like, Oh, do we need the uh, Stefan Feld baseball card? Yes. Yes, we do. <laughs> you crazy.
1: Why would you even ask that question? I don't Ugh. know. Yeah. <laughs> so- <laughs> I'm so confused right now. I, I got in because I like playing board games, and now I'm collecting baseball cards with famous designers on it, and it seems like it makes sense, but does not really make sense? Does it make sense? I don't know. Why?
0: I don't know, man. I don't know. I understand why you're broken, but I'm just saying. It was easy. I'm all in. It's no problem. And yeah, solo but- rules for both games. He's adding solo rules for both games.
1: So Yeah, but yeah. you're you say you're all in, but you haven't gone completely crazy and bought all four games. So No, but you know, there is a budget somewhere in this house. I don't know.
0: <laughs> like I have to adhere to. Um there was
1: a budget until there was Stefan Feld baseball cards, man. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I get those without the four hundred dollars. So Okay. Yeah.
0: Getting those either way. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, no, this is um, it's all me. And the the th- funny thing is I don't even love Bruges very much, but people keep telling me I gotta play with the expansion and some of the tweaks to the rules sound good. And Macau is amazing, so definitely excited for the new version of that. But Sure. Yep, this was easy. There was no question for me.
1: Yeah, I'll say I love Bruges. Bruges is in my top five games of all time, and I'm not getting rid of my edition, especially because the artwork in Hamburg is kind of generic, and it seems like there's going to be enough tweaks that they're actually going to be enough differences between the games that you may want to own both games. Macau, I've played, I've, you know, seen it from a distance, but it's been out of print. So I'm happy to have Amsterdam. Although again, maybe I'd rather have Macau, but I don't know. I I would say hold on to your copies (laughs) just in case this is not, you know, so revolutionary that you need to dump them. Because again, I'm keeping Bruges. So yeah. Yeah well the
0: thing is too like the Bruges board is beautiful the original one yeah the new one is not quite as nice it's not bad but it's not quite as nice
1: michael menzel did the artwork for Bruges, so as you said the board's gorgeous but also all the cards are bu- are beautiful too
0: yeah yeah for sure macau is a different beast because the original version of this is ugly and <laughs> it's like the amount of money people have to pay for that game and then you get it and it's an Alea game so it's just not a very nice production the Pieces are all kind of cheap. Those little wheels are definitely, they don't even really turn. They don't, you just put the pieces on the outside of it. Uh, the board is not nice to look at. So like looking at this one, I'm like, this is infinitely nicer to look at. Much easier probably to get to the table with people. So I'm just happy for the aesthetic upgrade and they've tweaked the rules too. So um, we shall see how it goes. I do like the original this quite a bit. So I don't know what needed to be tweaked, but
1: um, I'm happy to see what they do with it. All right, so that's all the games that we want hit the table. Let's talk about the games that did hit the table, and we'll let you know if those games are a buy and you should run out and pick those games up, if they're a play and you should sit down and play them, if those games are a dodge and you should avoid them, or if those games are the dreaded burn, and even if they come in baseball card form, you should not play them at all. So, Anthony, what do you have up for us this week?
0: All right, yeah, so the the game I got a chance to play... Enough to actually talk about is the same one you're going to talk about, so I'll wait on that and let you take the lead there. But I also did get a chance to play by myself. Tech he knew the new um, David Turchi Daniel Tashini joint uh, that just released from Board and Dice, and this has become like an annual thing now. Getting a new game from Tashini and Board and Dice. So last year we had Tris which I really enjoyed. The year before we had Taito which is one of my favorite games of all time now, and. I think they already have another one lined up for next year. So just every year in the summer, we get a new game and I'm super excited about it. This one, though, if you have seen any pictures, you know, it's the one with the big plastic obelisk in the middle of the board. It's a gimmick. That thing doesn't do anything, but it's cool. (laughs) It'll it'll grab attention once you can actually get out of the house and get these to the table. But the basic idea of the game is you are drafting dice. You roll a whole bunch of dice at the beginning of there's like four levels to it. It's like rounds and then mat rounds and then scoring rounds. And really, it's just 16 rounds broken down by two at a time. But effectively, what happens is every time someone takes two dice, you're going to turn that obelisk and it's going to change the values of the dice. So dice can either be pure, tainted, or you can't use them at all. And it changes based on where the light is focused. So like if you're in the light area of the obelisk where the sun is, then the white dice are pure and the black dice are restricted. You can't use them. But if you're on the dark side, you flip that around. Uh, So it'll constantly change which dice are available and when, and so you have to plan things out and you can't just like wait to get a die because then maybe it becomes restricted and you can't use it at all. Uh, When you do draft a die where it is on that big i don't want to say rundell but like the space in the middle will determine which action you can take you can always use a die that you take to produce resources um, on your board and that's like a whole separate thing like if you produce more resources than you can technically hold then you get basically corruption that will cost you points possibly at the end of the round and so that's a thing to like increase the value of how much you can actually produce at once so that doesn't happen the other thing you can do is the god action and there are six of those corresponding to the six sections and these are like all special unique different actions that you can take so if you've played a tashini game it'll feel familiar like it's this whole separate section of the board with its own mechanics that is influenced by other parts of the board but ultimately will do its own thing so you have pillars that you build in the corner which feels a little bit like building the pyramid in um not really but like you're going to get a lot of points over there and you kind of need to do it if you want to do well in the game. There's a workshops and quarries that you can build. And that's like an area majority scoring mechanism down there. There is statues that you can build all over the map, which you score points for. If you've built enough of your own statues, there's a market full of uh, blessing cards, which are like one-time bonuses and then technology cards that are ongoing abilities, which again are in most of Tashini's games. And Honestly, like playing through it the first time, the whole thing felt really disjointed. It was kind of hard to tile the pieces together and see how it flows. Again, kind of like all of his games, this one, was it's definitely a little bit more to wrap your head around than like Teotihuacan or Zolkin, which I feel like kind of clicked a little bit quicker. It's not heavier. It's just seeing how everything influences everything else. It reminded me a little bit more of Trismegistus, where you just need to play it once or twice, get everything in your head, and then you could start to build a strategy. So if you're the type of person who gets really frustrated if they don't figure out the game in the first play, this game's gonna frustrate you. <laughs> Cause I don't I don't see how you could unless you just happen to all the pieces click right away, right? So that's not a down thing, that's not a bad thing necessarily. It's just something to keep in mind. I don't think this one will have some of the issues that Trismegas has had because the rulebook is a lot better. It's very clear what you're supposed to do. The actions you take are intuitive once you take them. There aren't a bunch of hidden rules in the rulebook. And while there is a lot of iconography, most of it's just related to the resources, which are right in front of you. So it makes sense what you're trying to do. So I haven't played this enough to review it and I have not played it with other people, but uh, I did get a chance to play it like multi-handed and then the solo. And I enjoy it quite a bit so far. I don't think I like it more than... Uh, to, to walk on, but I'm interested to kind of play it a few more times and compare it against Trismegistus and, and Zulkin before that and you know see where it lands. It's definitely in that range with his other games, though. I do like it, you know, just off the bat. And so I will try to see if I can get it to the table, maybe on Tabletop Simulator and, and uh, get some other people to the table and see how it goes, because I think it needs the player interaction to actually... Sing. It's not the kind of game you can just sit down and play by yourself and get a good sense of it. Um, which is of course it's a multiplayer Euro game, but sometimes you can get a feel for it. So there you go. Not gonna give it a review rating right now, but I do enjoy it so far. If you're a big fan of tachini games, I think it's in that ballpark and you might like it. It's not crazy expensive either. I think it's like fifty bucks. So worth taking a look at, I think.
1: No, I'm glad to hear this because Ted's walking was such a big game out there. And to have them both come back and work on this game that seems at least thematically similar, seem like, well, do I really need to own both of these games? But you would say, in fact, they are radically different enough that you would actually own both?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's de- it's definitely different. Because Khan is, you know, your dice are workers, you're moving them around, and the actions you take are pretty static. It's almost, you know, resource management. This one has a similar-ish feel in that you take an action in one part of the board to develop the things you need to then go take an action in another part of the board. But the dice drafting mechanism is definitely unique and different from those. Um, It's, again, a little bit more like Trismegistus, in that you have this pool of dice in the middle and they're powered based on what's there. And then the actions themselves are also somewhat unique. And the technologies are your own. Like in Zulkan, you take the tech, it's in front of you. Other people can't use it. Whereas in Teotihuacan, they're public. Everybody can use them. So it has like the DNA of a Tashini game. It just feels different than I think um, Teotihuacan does. But it has pieces of it. Like if you take all those games and kind of mix them up, there's little bits and pieces of those all in this one. So I think if you like his games, a lot of it's here. Um, But I wouldn't say
1: it's like an analog to any of them. Sure. All right, so the game that I got to the table this week is a hotly anticipated game, so much so that Anthony and I both got our copies at the same time. This is Fort from Leader Games. Now, Fort is a game that was designed by Grant Rodick and illustrations by Kyle Fernan. Now, you probably know Leader Games from a lot of their great games that came out recently, especially Root. Well, the artwork here is here in full effect, but obviously we're not looking at woodland creatures. We're looking at kids that are out there playing, they're building their forts, they have their best friends out there, they're making new friends, they're collecting toys and pizza. And because it's a Euro game, they are trying to get the most points possible by the end of the game. Now, what's really interesting and unique about this game is the fact that it melds together so many traditional mechanics in board gaming in a really tight game that's playable by so many different people at the table. Now, at the core, if you ever played a game like Glory to Rome, where you're building up a tableau of special cards that are giving you abilities either throughout the game or based upon how they match together, they're going to give you special bonuses And then whatever is not in play or whatever you can't use kind of goes into the middle and then other people will be able to utilize those cards. Same thing here with Fort, you got your Fort. And in this game, you have these really nice chunky cardboard place kind of cards that will actually act as your player board, but also as your actual Fort and scoring and turn summary. Basically, everything you need is in this one board. So you are building up your fort. In order to build up your fort, of course, you need toys and pizza, and those are the two resources in the game. You'll be collecting those resources by utilizing different friends from the neighborhood. A lot of those friends in the neighborhood have special abilities that will give you those food and toys, but also will give you opportunities to score victory points and opportunities to build your fort, again, based on the requirement of pizza and toys throughout the game. The card anatomy is pretty straightforward. There'll be a symbol on the top left. It could be a wild, or it could be any number of different item that a child might have as far as plane is concerned. So you might have your general wild, which activates on everything else, but you also have skateboards, shovels, glues, squirt guns, books, crowns, just all this kind of random kind of fun stuff that kids would have. The interesting part, and really where the gameplay comes into play, is there's a deck-building mechanic here. Now, it's not the traditional deck-builder where you're just building up this single, huge deck of cards, and then at some point, you're paying it off. What you do here is you get to play one card. So at the start of the game, you get your 10 cards, or you draft your cards with the variant, highly recommended. And then what you'll do is pick out which card's best, utilize its private ability for yourself. And then also, if you choose to do so, utilize its public ability in any order you'd like. And then based upon what that card's special ability, so some cards actually have multipliers. So it might say for how many shovels you have, you get to get this number of toys. Now you look at your hand and you say, well, I have cards that have the shovel symbol on it or the wild symbol, I can play additional cards in order to get more toys, more resources in the game. Or you might decide to hold on to those cards because, again, everyone else can use the public action. So when other players are using their public actions in the game, you get to follow them. So there's a follow mechanic that's very similar to a lot of the Vitaliserta games, but obviously here it's much, much more shrunk down because you're really only playing one card in the game. Once you're done playing your one card and any cards that are going to boost up that card, the rest of the cards go out to the yard. And basically, you didn't play with those friends. So they're now open and available for other people to take those cards and get those friends to help them out. As the game goes on, you'll be collecting stuff, which is, again, the toys and the pizza. You'll be able to put it in your backpack, which will give you an extra area to kind of collect things you'll be able to add some of your friends' as lookouts. That allows their special symbol to be tucked away, not utilized as far as a card's concerned, but their symbol is still being able to utilize by those multiplier cards throughout the game. The vast majority of victory points are going to come from the fort level. And obviously, as you're building up the fort, more lookout cards can get tucked in, special abilities will come into play. So you might be able to get a perk by moving up that area and that's going to give you a special ability as well as the made-up rules and the made-up rules will give you victory points at the end of the game this is a really fast game as far as like what seems like a very heavy game with like deck building and glory to rome kind of elements to it it's fun it's interesting it's engaging it's colorful it really kind of does something very different it really does engage everyone at the table There's a lot of player interactivity. You can play this game up to four players, but it plays really well at every player count. I tend to like it at four because there's more kids out there available to play with because if you're not picking the kids from the other yards, you have to pick them blindly or pick them from the park, and those cards really don't recycle. So again, once you use all the cards that are available or you hit a certain player or you hit a certain point count, Or somebody hits the final evolution to their fort, the game comes to an end, you count up all your victory points, and there you go. You have your fort. I really enjoyed this game. Again, love Tableau Builders, love Glory to Rome Light, love deck builders that are basically like, what's my one best move here? And when I play it, I get to keep it. Anything else I'm not playing, eh, I throw it out to the yard. If no one plays with my friends, they come back into my hand. I like this game a lot. It's, again, I talked about this earlier. It's a $40 game. This could easily be a $60 game without a problem or an $80 game if it was on Kickstarter. The components are great quality. There's nothing radically different here. The box is small, so you could definitely fit this anywhere. This is a contender for one of the best games for 2020 in my account. How about you, Anthony? You played this
0: yeah it's fantastic yeah and i like in terms of the price too it's you can like pre-order this thing for like 24 dollars. i think very inexpensive and like it is just the one deck of cards but they made these nice player boards with the insets and everything it's a really nice quality production uh, from leader games especially without a kickstarter behind it i really enjoyed it quite a bit i thought It was clever and quick and easy. Um, I taught it to my kids in like 10, 15 minutes, and I had to walk them through their turns for, you know, 75% of the game the first time. But they got it. They understood what they were supposed to do, and they had fun with it. Um, And it was a really cool way to kind of introduce uh, to my son, who's a little bit older, the idea of deck building and the idea of trying to kind of consolidate the different suits together and be like okay well use this ability to remove these cards from your deck because they don't do as much because you can't power them up right you want to get you have a squirt gun you know a bunch of squirt guns in your deck then keep those and get rid of all this other stuff you know <laughs> like and he really liked that idea it, it kind of clicked with him really well whereas um other games we've tried to play similar to this it didn't really click and i think the theme is a big part of that because it all makes sense right it's kids building a fort playing with their friends and like you said if they if you don't play with your friends they go play with someone else it's perfect it did they didn't even get mad when you stole each other's cards they're like well i didn't play with them they're playing with you now (laughs) like kids always get mad when you take their stuff um but yeah it's a very clever quick uh accessible game and i'm really glad leader picked it up because uh this was originally released as I think SPQF just like Roman themed with very like traditional Roman artwork. And it had good reviews. People liked it, but it was definitely very niche. Um, Whereas this is going to get everywhere. You're going to see this game all over the place. So I'm looking forward to playing it more. I'm very much looking forward to playing it with like game groups. You know, when I have a chance, because I think the, uh, the cutthroatness of it will definitely come out (laughs) with adults in ways that it doesn't necessarily come out with kids, but Yeah, I'm with you, man. This game is awesome.
1: Alright, so that's everything that hit our table this week. Now on to our feature review. So for our feature review this week, we are talking about our board games that have gotten us down a deep, deep rabbit hole. We started off with the basics. Maybe it was a base game. Maybe it was an expansion. Next thing you know, it's pretty much everything. So, Anthony, we need to have some board game interventions to kind of talk us down of these massive collections that we're building up. And take a look why those actually became the behemoths (laughs) that started out just as little, little tiny games at first.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of these. This one was like, oh, that'll be cool. I'll look through my collection. And it's as usual, anytime we do one of these things I bought too much of type of topics. I'm like, man, it's kind of depressing too. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't play any of this stuff, but like in a fun way too, because like someday I know I will and it'll all be there and I don't have to worry about trying to track it down. So, yep, there's a lot here. I, it, some of it's fun. Some of it's never played. Some of it's played a lot.
1: Uh, it just kind of varies, I guess. <laughs> all right, Anthony. So why don't you start us off on one of your games that kind of started out as a Antil and moved on into a mountain.
0: Yep, so number one on the list for me has to be Arkham Horror the card game. This was, uh, it's actually Lord of the Rings' fault that this is on the list because <laughs> I had Lord of the Rings the card game. I had tried to buy expansions for it and I could not find them. So I've my collection of Lord of the Rings is decent size. I have a lot of cards for it, but they are all over the place. I think I have one or two complete cycles and the rest of them are just the packs I could find when I could find them. I do have a few of like the saga expansions uh, because those were easier to find, but like the actual individual releases, good luck because they just do not print very many of those. And when they do, they disappear. So when they announced Arkham Horror, the card game, I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to try this out. Oh, I really like this. Great. It's very solid implementation of the Lord of the Rings uh, mechanics. It's very story driven. It's really good for solo. Awesome. I'm on board. And then with my FLGS, I said, put me down for whatever they release. Just put my name down for Arkham, all the things for the card game. And whenever something comes in, call me, I'll come buy it. And I've done that now for four years. And I have literally everything that's been released from Arkham Horror, the card game, except for the books. I'm not interested in the books, but all the card releases, all of the like, revisit boxes that you can go back through and do the thing again, even though I haven't done them the first time, all of the expansion boxes, the deluxe expansions, the one-offs, the convention specials. I have all of it. I have not gotten through the first cycle yet. So this is, (laughs) it's kind of crazy because I don't know when I'm actually going to sit down and go through all these, but whenever I do, I will have them all. So I'm ready to go.
1: All right. So talking LCGs, the LCG that I, literally walked backwards into collecting, is the Star Wars, the card game. Now, I had never collected an LCG. I I mean, I had a Lord of the Rings LCG base box, but I never went any further than that. I think when I first kind of got into board gaming, especially the LCGs, when they first came out, I remember seeing the Lord of the Rings base box, and I remember seeing all the packs, and I was like, well if I'm going to buy this game, I need to buy all of these. And then at some point I thought how insane that was and backed away from the computer very slowly. So I was like, (laughs) not going to do it, not going to do it, not going to do it. Long story short, there was a game store. I had ridiculous amounts of cash and credit with the store because I was in on their subscription program. The store closed down and I had all this money and I had to buy something. So what I bought was Star Wars the card game. It was a two-player game, LCG from Fantasy Flight Games, and I was like, I love Star Wars, and I've played this with Anthony, so sure, why not? Obviously, it's going to eat up all the money, and I know I already like it. So I bought the base game, I bought a bunch of packs, and I never played it. At all. Not even a little bit. It's it's still staying where it was. And I was like, you know what? I kind of feel bad about this, but at some point, I feel like, I got pretty much, I think, almost all, if not all, of the Empire Strikes Back collection, which is my favorite movie out of all the trilogies. So, yeah, I'm fine with this. And then it all went on sale. And then it went on sale again and again and again to the point where, am I stupid to not buy the packs when they're going for like three, four bucks each? So I started to do that. And then we got to the point where, like, I started collecting more. And then I was like... I might as well buy the mat that goes along with the game. So at this point, I have the base box. I have the minor base boxes. I have a bunch, a bunch of the packs. I don't have everything yet because I've kind of kept it too ridiculously on sale. I don't know if I'll ever collect all of it, but I'm almost there and I still haven't played the game again. (laughs) Yep, sounds about right.
0: All right. (laughs) Next one up for me is uh, a game I legitimately like and have played several times, but always the base game, never any of the extra content, and that's Power Grid. Uh, Power Grid's a fantastic game. I very much enjoy it. It's a solid puzzle. I've played the US map. I've flipped it on over. I've played the Germany map. I've played the deluxe version, and that's about it. And yet, I own nine maps for this stupid game. <laughs> so, Concordia was a close second, a game that I also have not played a ton of outside of the base game. And I have, I think, four or five of the maps for that. But Power Grid, I have two separate boxes, like the collector's boxes, full of maps and expansions, none of which I've ever actually gotten to the table. So it's a shame because they look good. They sound interesting. I want to play them. It's just one of those things that alternate maps for games like this only come out if you're playing with the same people over and over again. Cause you can't just bring an alternate map and then say, all right, who wants to play power grid? And someone's like, Oh, I've never played before. And I'm like, I can teach you, but the map's different. And they're like, "Never mind, It does not work. <laughs> so power grid someday, someday I'll find someone or I guess two or three, someone's and we'll get it done.
1: Well, on my Euro game side, I want to talk about two games really quick because they're almost identical as far as the situation's concerned. First seven wonders, seven wonders has been one of my favorite games of all time. Definitely in my top 10. I have all the expansions for it. I have the insert that goes with it. I have the coins that go with it. I have Seven Wonders Duel. And I've tried to collect all the promos. I know I don't have all the promos. I still wanted all the promos. And now they have reprinted the game and adjusted it just enough that it's now different. This is also true about Castles of Burgundy, another game that I sort out all of the little mini expansions, all the maps, all the little bits and bobbles that had kind of popped up over the years, five bucks here, ten bucks there, and they reprinted that game too. So I have two games that I have practically everything for, and because I bought all the little promos and the expansions, the games are much more expensive than what they would be without them. By far, almost double, if not more than that, and now both of those games are reprinted, remastered, and typically collect all of the other stuff. So, yeah, that's a thing.
0: I'm with you on uh, Castle of Burgundy, man. That's that's a, that's tough. <laughs> it hurts. It does. Um, all right. So another one for me uh, is Imperial Settlers. This is a game that I love. It's one of my top. 15 20 games of all time i've been playing it consistently since it came out in 2014 i think and it it's just a fantastic game that i really enjoy and mostly i've played it solo i haven't really played it with other people too much so i've picked up everything that's come out for this um, all the deluxe expansions all the little tinier expansions i've gotten the inserts i've got the big box coming in the mail i've got the 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 new version that came out last year, I even bought the roll and which I hated. And all of this stuff, I think I still never actually get around to playing it because I don't go out and play with other people, right? Having all these different factions requires that you build the decks for them and that you tweak the decks and that you tweak the core of the game so that it works playing solo. And I just don't get around to doing any of that. Now, there is a new expansion just came out, which, of course, I have. I think Rise of the Empire or something like that introduces a new way to play it uh, in a campaign mode, which is much more solo friendly, not like the basic solo mode it had before. So maybe I'll play that and actually utilize all of this content I picked up for this game over the last seven years. Or maybe it will continue to sit there. I don't know. (laughs) But uh, Imperial Settlers is a game that I absolutely love and just hope that at some point I get around to actually playing through all the content I bought for it.
1: Well, on that same spot, talking about cutesy, cartoony gameplay is concerned, two games kind of match up with that. First up was Munchkin back in the day before I got heavy into board games, especially the Euro games and the heavier stuff. Munchkin was something we played with different groups and we played with the family and it knew to do the collecting element right. So there was almost endless numbers of collectibles and promos and bookmarks and everything you could possibly imagine. Up until the point where they started producing like big boxes to hold everything. And then at that point, I was like, well, I'll fill a box or two, and then I'm really going to call it quits. Munchkin was great because of John Kovalik's artwork. It's just funny, funny stuff, especially if you've ever played D&D. And just from the artwork alone, it was worth collecting and, and enjoying, but ugh, it, it really it was really a rabbit hole. And also on that same point, Small World. Small World is again a wonderful game from from Days of Wonder. Great cartoony artwork. Again, this kind of D and D fantasy kind of situation had again a ton of expansions. Thankfully, no crazy promos, at least as far as I know. Fingers crossed. But it just, it had so many expansions, and it's still producing expansions. At this point, I'm just buying expansions just to buy expansions, and they're not getting played. And I also have the Mega Deluxe version, so I don't think this is ever going to stop. I think recently they came out with the Warcraft one. That might do it. <laughs> it might stop, but yeah, Munchkin and uh, Small World.
0: All right. Yeah. So for me, uh, next one on the list is my number one game of all time, War of the Ring. Now, this is a a tricky one uh, for a few reasons. I love this game. And so therefore, I don't actually feel like I have a problem in buying all the stuff that goes with it. But that said, I average like one play of this a year if I'm lucky. And I have all the expansions for it. I have upgrades for uh warriors of middle earth the collector's edition of that i have these hand sculpted upgrades for the towers uh, as well as some of the stuff that goes on the board i have the anniversary edition of the board and the uh the rule books Uh, basically everything short of the actual anniversary edition which just doesn't exist because by the time i could afford it and was aware of it it was super sold out forever all of this stuff and because I don't play it often enough and because I'm usually teaching someone new how to play, I just I can't get Lords of Middle-Earth to the table. I can't get Warriors of Middle-Earth to the table. Um, there's a new one coming out at some point. Probably will buy that and also not get that to the table. Uh, this extends, of course, to Hunt for the Ring, the uh, deduction hidden movement game that is kind of the sequel to this. And I haven't played that either, but glad to have it. They're beautiful to look at. <laughs> and um, we'll play this pretty much any time if someone says oh i'd love to learn war of the ring i'm like done we're doing it <laughs> let's set a time i'm going to teach you how to play uh but just not with all the extra stuff because it's a little too much
1: well speaking of too much i'm going to talk about two games that are very similar this is memoir 44 and rivet wars these are two games that are two player games with some caveats if you have ex- massive expansions with it and they are Both war games. Obviously, Memoir 44 is definitely more towards the war gamer side of it. It's not a war game, but it tilts towards that way. And it goes back to World War II, and there is all the different world factions. There are all the different terrains. There are all the different plastic miniatures that come along with this game. And it's pretty huge. And it's been on sale. And they had the planes that came out recently, and I picked that up too. I don't know how this also happened, but at some point I started collecting Rivet Wars. Again, very similar, except obviously a lot more cartoony, a lot more of that kind of like cutesy kind of World War II aesthetic, if that is a thing. And I remember this way back when it was a Kickstarter and I did not back the Kickstarter, but eventually all the Kickstarter stuff came out, at least the big box kind of stuff. And it was like 50% off, 50 75% off. And I just started picking the stuff up. Now, I still don't have all the little mini individual character expansions. But again, this is another game that I just collected to collect. Same thing with Memoir 44. I collected to collect with the hopes of both of these games one day getting those games to the table. But to be honest with you, two-player games like Anthony's two-player game, Lord of the Rings here, are very hard to get to the table, especially when they're long.
0: Yeah, they are. Oof. All right. So the last one for me is a game that is pretty much like Arkham Horror. I decided when it came out, I was going to buy everything for it. I just I made that decision early. I stuck to it. I got a subscription here with my local store. Anytime something came in, they called me. I came and bought it. I have not played anything for this outside of the base box, and that's with three years of expansions, and that's Star Wars Imperial Assault. So this was when they announced this game. I was over the moon. This game was like, oh my gosh, it's Star Wars board game, like a good Star Wars board game, which we never thought we were going to get because Hasbro had the license and Fantasy Flight wasn't allowed to make them. And somehow they worked it out and they made it happen. And I was like, I'm in, I'm going to do it. Here's all the money, take all the monies. My wife actually got me this for Christmas, uh, kind of <laughs> like a uh, like a unspoken agreement. Um, she knew that I would buy it anyways and just kind of hinted like, just don't buy that. It's okay. I got it. <laughs> so I actually got this on Christmas Eve, the day my daughter was born. I opened it up and I got all the miniatures out. I washed some, we started painting them, me and my son. I was very excited. And then, uh, my daughter was, came early a few days early, uh, that night. And I promptly forgot about it. Didn't look at it again for like a month. Um, because newborn and i don't know if i even played it for maybe a month or two after that which was just so sad because i was so excited about this game and it just didn't get a chance to get it to the table Continued to pick up everything that came out for it though all the deluxe expansions all the individual figure packs uh like the deluxes would come with like little tokens to represent some characters and you could buy an expansion that replaced the token with the miniature absolutely i bought all those um the stupid packs that were just like, here's some more rebel troopers. Here's some more Wookiees. Yep. Give me all the Wookiees. <laughs> I'll take them all. So I have the main box, which is packed to the brim and maybe like four or five more boxes in the closet. Um, and I was almost kind of glad when they stopped making it. Cause I'm like, okay, I can stop buying it and maybe somebody actually play through all of it because there's a lot there. and I don't know how long it's going to take to go through it all. But imperialist it's a good game, so I'm excited to do it someday. I'm hoping my kids like it, because that'll be a fun one to kind of go through down the line.
1: Yeah, another miniature game, and especially for the kids that I hope we will get to the table at some point, is Arcadia Quest. Arcadia Quest is this fantastic game from Simon Games, and it's all about these teams and these little dungeon dwellers. So it's that hack and slash dungeon crawl that we're all familiar with. With a lot of cuteness. It's these little chibi miniatures that go into the game. They had multiple Kickstarter campaigns with like endless numbers of little chibi characters that you could pick up separately. I didn't back the first Kickstarter, but I believe I backed all the rest, including the writers, which was a bit of a flop for the company, I know that there's other little individual guys out there, but they're going for something like $15, $20, or $50 each individual character, which is kind of crazy, but I already own a crazy amount of this in my closet. So again, it's another one of these games where hopefully it'll get to the table, and especially the cuteness of it, hopefully we'll transfer over and get some more people to the table, but until then, it is a pile of plastic in the closet.
0: Yeah, me too. It's <laughs> the mutual one. We've I think we have the same stuff. Like I backed the second Kickstarter too and have backed all of them since. So I don't know why. It just keeps happening.
1: Yeah, even Mass Mora.
0: Yes. I found it the other day. When I was in the basement cleaning up and I found it I'm like, "Why do I still have that?" And I opened it up and I realized all the miniatures were gone cuz I'd taken them out and put them somewhere else. I was like, "Oh, that's why I still have this. I can't sell it. All the miniatures are gone."
1: It's true. All right, well, that is our board gaming interventions that we've had to go through in order to kick those habits, so to speak. But those rabbit hole games are still with us, still beloved. Hopefully you got some of these own collections out to the table, and hopefully they're not just sitting in the closet. And if you'd like to let us know about those collections, again, hit us up on all our social media. We'd love to hear you on boardgamersanonymous.com, our guild on Board Game Geek, obviously our Patreon account, especially with our Slack channel, and now with our new Twitch channel, BGA Live. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at the table.